Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. James 5, 1-11 Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you, and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of feasting. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not resisting you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patiently for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Admittedly, a long chunk of scripture. We're going to spend a couple different Sundays on this scripture. In this scripture, James is addressing two different groups, the rich landowners or the elites of the ancient world, and then the poor brothers and sisters, the poor followers of Jesus. And there's a fascinating history connected to what James is saying here. Uh, has to do with the dynamics that led up to the war of 66 through 70 AD. And we are going to dig into that history, but not today. Today we're taking a less academic approach to the scripture and more of a meditative approach. We're reflecting and chewing on our own life, our own heart. And I'm telling you that because I I know that this passage brings up a lot of academic questions. And I know that for some of you, especially when you approach a text like this, it brings up academic questions and begs questions. And so I want to let you know that we are going to get there another Sunday so that you can set those questions aside today. The diseases of the human heart always give way to distortions within the social order, within human systems, and they they go together. Some people read texts like this one 
and they want to spiritualize the entire thing. They want to make it completely about the heart. And then other people go the other direction and they want to make the text completely about the social order and about the distribution of goods. And both of those approaches matter. We're taking a both and approach, recognizing that the diseases of the human heart will always give way to distortions within human systems. So today we are reflecting on the spirituality of having things. We all have things. Accumulating things is just part of life. It's part of survival. And in this scripture, we see James speaking some pretty harsh words against the rich landowners, the elites of his day, who were hoarding their wealth and piling up clothes and silver and gold. In ancient Palestine, world of limited goods, stealing was not only understood as taking someone's private property, but it could be understood as hoarding what other people needed. To not pay a day laborer was understood as literally attacking their life. Their existence was hanging by a thread. Many people only owned one garment. Food, shelter, family members all depended on getting paid today just in order to have a meal for tonight. In a world without refrigerators, whenever you slaughtered an animal like a feast day, you had to eat it pretty much right now. It was often considered a community feast. It wasn't going to last very long. But the rich people in this passage that James is speaking to, they are not sharing. They're, it's like they're trying to eat the whole thing themselves. They are living on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Now, scriptures like these can bring up plenty of discomfort. More than distancing ourselves from what James has to say about the rich, which that, that could be what we feel like doing, what if we use these words just to let some questions sit with our hearts? Kind of uncomfortable questions, but important questions, like what is the difference between the money in our bank account and the gold and silver in these rich people's pockets? Or what's the difference between the clothes in our closets and the clothes in these rich people's closets? What's the difference between all the things we have stored away in our cupboards and drawers and garages and storage units and the things that they had stored away? Where's the line between the ways we live on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence and the way these people lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence? Like, what's the difference between us barbecuing steaks from our freezer full of meat and failing to invite someone else over and these rich people? slaughtering an animal and then trying to eat it all. None of us have a single clean dollar in our pocket. Like on the back trail of every dollar in my pocket is someone who was mistreated, wasn't paid fairly, was cheated, was exploited. And if you think that isn't true, you probably just haven't looked far enough downriver. Uh, just it's a f perhaps a few more steps removed. You can find someone 
who was not treated fairly. James wasn't the only one living in a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So do we. We cannot completely remove ourselves, extricate ourselves from all of the unjust systems of this world. So what's the difference between enabling and empowering those systems and resisting those systems, living by a different way within those systems? I used to work for United Van Lines. We would go into home, after home, after home, after home, and literally pack up people's underwear drawers, file cabinets full of bank statements, their junk drawer. I've packed all the drawers that you would think someone would be like, I don't want anyone to see that. Yeah, I've packed it. Evidently, no one cares what the moving guy sees. It's a very intimate look into the wide variety of ways that people live. I've moved people who certainly appeared to be suffering from the mental health condition hoarding disorder. I've filled boxes with unrecognizable odds and ends that I really couldn't imagine anyone at a garage sale wanting to buy, but the homeowner wanted to keep every single item and exercise the utmost caution with those items. I've been in homes where I had to watch nearly every step to make sure I didn't step in dog poop or cat poop inside the home. Everything's covered with animal hair and dirt and dust. And yet the homeowner's very concerned about getting the slightest scratch on the furniture. I've seen the full range of what people accumulate and store and hoard and fill up storage units with. Entire rooms full of shoes, snack food, survival food, old gear, broken knickknacks, old papers, magazine collections, books, collections of every kind. And I've helped to move some of the most ornate furniture you ever saw into enormous mansions. I remember one at the top of the mountain in Park City, Utah, castle with private wine cellars larger than my own kitchen. I've packed up personal belongings of homeowners who must have millions, if not billions of dollars. And I've been in the homes of people who appeared to live very simply and with great contentment. I've moved people all in between. It's a fascinating experience being that close to someone else's life. It's kind of perplexing and eye-opening and intriguing to see what people store and accumulate and hoard. And it's thought-provoking to see the way that they relate to their possessions. The same thing could be said of people's bank accounts, how they spend their money. I've known unhappy, anxious millionaires who refuse to splurge on a cheeseburger on vacation when a hamburger will do. And I've known carefree people who treat all of their life like a vacation, even though their finances are probably a disaster. Some people are highly sentimental and attached to their physical possessions, but they're kind of disconnected from their banking. They attach meaning to objects, and other people, it's almost the reverse. It's like they could care less about their physical possessions, but they care deeply about how their money's managed. They attach meaning to a certain way of life, a certain way of managing their money, and a certain kind of logic. So whether it's money in the bank or a wine cellar in a mansion or a storage unit, 
all of it is having. It's what we have. And underneath all of our having is a world of emotions. And that's where it gets really interesting. We don't relate to everything we have in just one way. We're all seeking a unique blend of status, security, connection, enjoyment, control in the things that we have. For instance, the emotions that you connect to the clothes in your closet, they, they might come from a need you feel for status or identity, like they say something about who you are, but the meaning that you connect to your bicycle in your garage might be more of a desire for enjoyment. And meanwhile, your motivation for having the kind of car that you have might be your need for control. Or maybe it's security or connection. We don't relate to everything we have in the same way. And it's part of what is perplexing about our having. Like someone who really doesn't appear to care a lick about one possession seems to care a great deal about something else in a way that's really weird to you. And it's part of why we don't always understand how other people relate to money and possessions like they do. Because we're all seeking a unique blend of status and security, connection, enjoyment, control in different things. So we seek things that other people wouldn't. And we keep things that other people would get rid of. And we get rid of things that other people would keep. And underneath all of that accumulation is a history. There are childhood experiences of what it meant to have enough and what it meant to not have enough. There might be some self-protective promises that we made to ourselves as children that we may or may not have outgrown. They may or may not serve us well, but you know, I'm gonna live in this way kind of a thing. There's an ego that relates our having to our being. I, I am what I have. Uh, and if we haven't faced that ego head on, it, it might be driving the ship in some ways. There's a story of meaning. It's what we're telling ourselves about what has meaning and what doesn't have meaning and why. And underneath all of our having, there are stated values and then there are lived values. And it's, it's just a, a whole world of emotions under there. And those emotions might remain underground much of the time. We might not recognize that they're there, but then there are experiences that can bring them to the forefront. Like you lose a certain possession, or you lose an income, or you gain a new possession, or you gain an income, or you go through a life transition, or you go through an experience that reminds you of your childhood, or there's an experience that bumps up against your ego, or there's an experience that bumps up against your logic, or you have a cross-cultural experience. You experience something that changes your values in some way. You experience someone relating to money and possessions in a way that's different than you, or you have your way of relating to money or possessions challenged. Or threatened. When those emotions surface, they can be really strong. 
Like the, think about the way that people become emotional around money and around things. Sometimes we don't even understand why the things that we have matter or don't matter in the way that they do. All we know is we feel it in a really strong way. So how are we supposed to discern whether we are relating to what we have in spiritually healthy ways or spiritually unhealthy ways? Like, is there a line between having an okay amount of money in your bank account and hoarding money in your bank account? Okay, James, what's the magic number in 2023? Do you know it? Like you're taught writing about people hoarding <laughs> money and things. How many pairs of shoes can you own before Jesus says um, you're hoarding? And, and what's the difference between a good vacation and a greedy vacation? Where's the line between efficiency and comfort? and luxury and self-indulgence that James is kind of condemning in this passage? Or, or are we even asking the right question? Are we asking the question in the right way or the wrong way? Well, I think of another story. It's a story where Jesus is watching the crowds who are putting their money into the temple treasury. Uh, this can be found in Mark chapter 12. And there are many rich people. They're throwing in large amounts. But then there's this poor widow. So one of the most vulnerable people in society. She comes along and she puts in two very small copper coins. They're worth only a few cents. And Jesus sees this. And he says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. It appears that Jesus sees something a little different than just numbers and size and amounts. Jesus sees deep emotions and histories, and experiences, and motivations. Jesus sees what it is that we are clutching tightly and trying to acquire more of, and why. Jesus sees our giving, and our getting, and our giving to get, and our clutching, and our hoarding. And Jesus notices when your eyes are looking upward, focused on upward economic mobility. Jesus sees when your eyes are looking downward to see who's below me and, and what are their needs. Jesus sees the things that you are holding on to out of fear, the things that you're trying to acquire and think you need in order to be happy. He sees the things that you hoard because your mind is filled with scarcity. Like, I, I think there won't be enough. I think that I'm not enough. Or Somehow, if I don't have this, then what happened back then is going to happen again. Or what happened to someone else is going to happen to me. Jesus sees the wounds that are still trying to heal. He sees the lies that you are still trying to untangle yourself from. The things 
also that you hold loosely, he sees, the things that you're able to hold with love and gratitude and creativity and generosity, the things that you're holding in such a way that it, it really is true. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, and you sense that as you hold that gift. I like the way my friend Vern Hinman says it. He says, the DNA of the kingdom of Jesus is love, sufficiency, gratitude, generosity, and creativity. The DNA of the empires of the world are fear and scarcity. Dark is not an entity. It's the absence of light. Cold is not an entity. It's the absence of heat. Fear is not an entity. It's the absence of love. When the kingdom of Jesus meets any empire, the something of the kingdom displaces the nothingness of the empire. Our goal is to infect all that exists in the empires of the world with the subversive love of Jesus. Love casts out fear. I love that quote. And I think it really gets at this question in the same way that Jesus is looking at the question when he's watching all those people giving their gifts at, into the temple treasury. And so with that said, I want to invite you to do an imaginative prayer exercise. Or if you're listening to this on the podcast or YouTube, then um, you could do this in real time, I guess. But it's a prayer exercise listening to what your creator may have to say to you about the things that you have. So for starters, unless you need your eyesight because you're going to do it in real time, I invite you to close your eyes and sit with your hands open in front of you. Take a breath. Relax your hands. Relax your body. Pay attention to how your body feels right now. And now imagine yourself standing outside of your home, wherever you live. If you have a vehicle, see your vehicle parked outside or vehicles. See the life that you have built, not just the buildings. See your income, your, your banking app banking statements, your investments, retirement, see your toys, your phone, your devices, your fridge, your freezer, your closet. See the whole of it, all of it, the activities that go along with it, the way it all fits together, the good, the bad, the ugly. There you are looking at the life that is yours. So feel in your hands somehow that you are holding this, you are touching this. This, this is your life. Imagine your creator coming to you and gently saying, can you show me 
the things you have that help you feel a sense of status or identity. They help you feel like you are someone. They say something about who you are. In some way, they are an extension of who you are. Now, your creator, full of compassion and mercy, already knows what all of those items are. So there's no hiding your real answer. So go ahead and just take a walk through your life with your creator. Go through each room, whether it's in your mind or in real time, and put your hands on those items. Show your creator each item and and feel the way your hands feel as you touch that item. These items that give you a sense of status or identity and tell your creator what you think each of those items says about you. Go ahead. You may need more time if you're doing this on the podcast, so feel free to pause the video. Your creator patiently listens. And and then once you've walked through the whole house and you've showed your creator what you think each of those items says about you, your creator turns and says something about who you truly are. I'm not going to fill in that blank. I'm inviting you to listen. Simply listen in the darkness. What is your creator saying to you about who you are? Your creator now asks you another question. What are the things that you have that help you feel secure? Like you have the control you need. Once again, your creator knows what those items are. So take a walk with your creator through your life. Go put your hands on all of those aspects of your life. The things that you have that help you feel like you have the security and the control that you need so go go show your creator 
those things. You can pause the video or the podcast if you need to. Once you've finished showing your creator those things, your creator asks you, why these things? Like, what are you trying to avoid? What are you afraid of? What are you trying to protect yourself from? Without any fear of judgment, try answering your creator. Once you've told your creator what you're trying to avoid, what you're trying to protect yourself from, your creator doesn't argue. Your creator patiently listens and then extends two hands with ugly scars in them and says to you, that makes sense. I know how terrifying it is to feel like you're going to lose everything. If you can, try taking those two hands and try feeling what it feels like to know that perhaps your creator does understand how terrifying it feels to let go of security and control. smiles at you and says I want to see the things that fill you with the most joy the most gratitude creativity generosity hospitality show me the things that help you to look downward 
and see who's below you instead of just looking for upward mobility. So go walk through your life and show your creator those items. Touch each item and show your creator the people whose lives are touched because you have what you have. Feel what it feels like to touch those items and feel the way your body feels. See your creator lighting up as you talk about each person who you connect with. So go ahead. Once you've finally shown your creator all of those items, your creator says something about how special it is to see you give these gifts to the world. Listen. What is your creator saying? You finish the tour of your life back outside your house with your creator. There you are. You're looking at this life that is yours. Come back to feeling your hands, somehow holding it all. This is your life. Does it feel any different to have walked through it with your creator? to talk to your creator about it, to listen to what your creator has to say. Does your body feel any different? Do your hands feel any different? Does your heart feel any different? I'll give you some time to sit with it all, to think about the way you relate to the things that you have and the spirituality of having things. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.